Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. Remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Jim Papandrea. He is a Catholic professor, author, speaker, musician, a baptized Catholic, uh, but was raised Protestant, eventually ordained in a, a Protestant denomination. Jim is a revert to the Catholic Church, and it was through his studies of the early church fathers that uh, that he ended up coming back. Jim, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, I'm glad to talk with you. So you wrote this book, Reading of the Church Father, Reading the Church Fathers, which I highly recommend for people because it does nothing but strengthen your faith when you read uh, how we started and how things evolved. But how did your journey go from being baptized? being brought up in the Protestant faith and then uh, coming back to the Catholic Church? Yeah, well, you know, as you say, I, I, was, uh, I was brought up in, uh, in a Protestant denomination, so even though I was baptized in the Catholic Church, I went through, you know, catechism and confirmation uh, in a Protestant denomination, and uh, as a part of that, that uh, process, you know, we were taught a lot of things that uh, later turned out not to be true, right? So we were taught these Protestant myths, like, like that that the Protestant Reformation was all about getting back to some kind of original Christianity, some sort of pristine Christianity before the Catholics, you know, added all these extra things, and um, and I believed that, and uh, until I started studying the early Church for myself, reading the actual documents written by the Church Fathers, and I realized, you know, that's not true. The other big Protestant myth, of course, as your listeners know, is the uh, doctrine of sola scriptura, this idea mm-hmm. that, you know, all, all we need for, for the Christian faith is in the Bible. And, you know, when you study the early Church, and the medieval Church for that matter, you find out Christians never treated the Bible that way. No one ever believed in sola scriptura until the Protestant Reformation. And in fact, the whole thing is self-contradictory because the concept of Scripture alone is not taught in Scripture. So, you know, you can't say, I I only accept Scripture, because if you only accept Scripture, you would not have this doctrine of Scripture alone, right? So it, it just doesn't make sense. But, you know, I believed all these myths coming up until I went to graduate school and started uh, reading the documents for myself. Well, you know, it's interesting, because I... I... You know, I'm a convert myself, and I know the early church fathers kind of helped cement things for me when I was coming back in, when I was coming into the church. And, you know, I watched a lot of journey, uh, you know, on the, you know, the journey home. And I saw that you were on there yeah. probably about eight, nine years ago. And it's amazing yeah. when you watch uh, the journey home, especially Protestant uh, scholars who, once they dipped into the early church fathers, like a light bulb went off. And yeah. you're—I mean—you're not alone. There's so many people. So the early church fathers really, and the early history of the church really does have a huge impact on people coming into the church. The Eucharist obviously is—you know—the Eucharist. You can't—you're not going to uh, diminish that. But the early church fathers are in no way—you uh, know—just a—you know—a second thought. Yeah. No, that's right. And, and you know, when whenever people ask me, you know, like give me the short answer of why you reverted to the Catholic Church, I tell them, you know, look, I discovered two things. Number one, I discovered sola scriptura is false. But the other one, I discovered apostolic succession is true. And apostolic succession is, you know, that process of the the handing down of the truths of the Church 
through the church fathers. And, um, you know, when you read the church fathers, you, you, you know, you finally realize, wait a second, uh, the early church is Catholic, you know? Well, and the interesting thing, right. I, and I'm sure people, probably too many people don't think about it, but, you know, we say the creed every Sunday, one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I mean, and that apostolic church is not a throw in that's really important, isn't it? Well, it is. And I mean, you know, the creed is an excellent example because, you know, there are, we, we do have separated brothers and sisters who don't say the creed because they say, mm-hmm. well, we're Christians, but we're not going to say this creed because it's not in the Bible. The problem is, though, that if you try to interpret the Bible without the creed and without the tradition of the church and without the church fathers, you will end up with heresy. And that's exactly what happened with the Arian heresy that, that gave rise to the writing of the creed. I mean, you try to interpret the Bible without the help of the church, and you're going to end up as a heretic. It happens every time. Well, and you cover that in the book, too, and which is which is good. I mean, you cover, you know, kind of the history from the early church fathers, and you really realize that, you know, to not read them is really to our own disadvantage, to see how the church evolved, how the liturgy evolved, how doctrine, I mean, you know, how... Uh, teachings of the church were, were shared and what that looks like. And there was no Bible, right? So to say sola scriptura in the year 200, um, what the heck were they going to be able to read to be able to live by that anyway? Yeah, well, you know, it's ironic because, uh, you know, the Bible of Jesus and the apostles was what we call the Septuagint, the, the Greek Old Testament. It, had, it def- definitely did have all of those books in the Old Testament that your Protestant friends don't have in their Bibles, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. they're saying sola scriptura, and they've left out books of the Bible in the Old Testament. I mean, in the second century, we, we are starting to see um, the Church Fathers talk about, oh, there's an Old Testament and there's a New Testament, and they've got the Gospels, and they've got the letters of Paul, and these are circulating as collections. Um, so even before there was a, an actual canon or a Bible with the New Testament in it per se, they had these documents. But, you know, mm-hmm. the, the trick was, how do you interpret them? And which ones are we going to include as authoritative? And it was the Church Fathers who had to make those decisions. And, and thankfully, they did that for us. And, you know, if you, if you read today, if you read, um, you know, the, the Catechism of the Church, it's just all based on the Church Fathers. It's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it's footnoted throughout the Catechism, and you're always going back to them. And so I, I, read, I saw this quote. Uh, actually, it was yesterday on Twitter, and I just want to read it to you because I, I scratched my head when, but I'm sure people think this way. I think modern Protestant biblical scholars are better than the church fathers. We have more information now about history, philosophy, archaeology, language, etc., which contextualize the scriptures more accurately. The fathers were working with much less. Is that not probably the most arrogant statement you've heard? Well, it, it is. I mean, and, and what people don't realize is it's based on a, on a very arrogant assumption, which is that somehow people get smarter over time. Like, like there's this assumption that, that just, just on principle, people who live later in time are automatically smarter than people who lived earlier in time, which, which is, of course, not true. You know, the, the flip side of that is, yeah, we have more science now, et cetera. But, the, you know, the other side of that coin is the church fathers were much closer to the origin of the doctrines, meaning Jesus and the apostles. So they have that advantage over contemporary scholars. And, and you know, this is the other sort of 
very arrogant assumption is that that this this modernist assumption that somehow the truth we construct is better than the truth we receive and that's false that is a mistake because truth has to have a source the source of course the primary source of truth is the incarnation jesus himself and that has to be handed down we don't make up our truth we receive it well and we live in a world that we think we're so smart but we can't define what a woman is right gender is now fluid uh same-sex marriage is on par supposedly with any marriage i mean we say the most asinine things yet somehow think we're smarter than previous generations and all we really do is really need to do is look in the mirror don't we yeah well you know it's all part of that same false assumption that the individual is his or her own highest authority and therefore you know whatever i decide my truth is today that is truth it doesn't have to be the same as your truth because truth is no longer absolute. And I might decide that my truth is different tomorrow, right? That is, you know, part, part of what has, has uh, skewed the modern world. I would say, even since going back to the creation of a, a philosophy called nominalism and the enlightenment and, you know, all of this, all this idea that sort of truth is what you make it. The truth is what you decide it is. Uh, everything is a, is a, construct in your mind or in in you know in society and therefore there's there's no absolutes that is the problem right there and uh you know the the church fathers lived in a world where there were absolutes and that's why their consensus on doctrine has stood the test of time well and it really is you know watch you know reading the church fathers is almost like watching this evolution of the church and you know, its teachings and the importance of the sacraments, you know, to see all these things, right? We had sacraments, but they didn't call them the sacraments or they didn't, you know, number the sacraments back then. Um, but all these are like the seeds of where we are today. And to ignore them really is is not only to our detriment, but it really can lead us to those things you were just talking about. Well, that's right. And I mean, if we want to call ourselves Christians uh, and if we want that to mean that we are connected to Christ in, in some way that's more than just, you know, thinking he was a decent guy and we should follow his good examples. If, if we want to be connected to Christ, we have to be connected to him through this unbroken chain of, of discipleship, of apprenticeship that goes all the way back to the apostles. And, uh, and, and, you know, too often people get it in their heads that they don't need to be connected back to the source in that way, that they can sort of reinvent the wheel and that what they're going to invent is going to be better than what they received. And, uh, you know, and, and that is the problem. That's the huge problem. Well, and it's even a battle like we're going through right now within the church, right? We do have this modernistic thought even coming from the Vatican, right? We're going to, we're going to punish people that want to do, you know, the more traditional Latin mass. And I, and obviously that wasn't around when the early church fathers were there, but um, we really see this almost, um, disdain for the past and we're new now and let's, and let's move forward. And to forget where we came from is to forget who we are. Yeah. You know, I think that if there's one lesson of the history of the church, it's that the church throughout history has always sort of taken a middle course, uh, and found a, a balance between the extremes, always rejecting the extremes mm -hmm. and rejecting the either or answers, um, but accepting the sort of both and 
answers. And so, um, you know, on the one hand, we don't leave tradition behind because then it would be like a ship, you know, without an anchor. Right. But right. on the other hand, the tradition isn't static. And so, you know, we, we talk about doctrine developing because, you know, over time things are, are clarified more and more. Not that, not that doctrine changes. Orthodoxy doesn't change. Uh, every generation's orthodoxy is based on the foundation of the previous generation's orthodoxy. So we, we build on uh, the foundation of our ancestors in the faith, and we accept what we receive, but then it becomes a living, dynamic faith. So, it, so tradition is not static, but, but we also can't just walk away from it, and there's that balance to find, and that's, that's what we should always be looking for, and, and that's the way we follow in the footsteps of the Church Fathers. Well, and I mean, they're prime examples, right? We have, uh, you know, in vitro fertilization, right? We have uh, even abortion now, right? We know so much more through science than we would have, you know, 500 years ago that, you know, the evolution is so that when we come to understand it, built on the teachings of the church, we're able to apply it when these new things come up and be and are able to address them solidly with the teachings of the church. Yeah, and it's important for people to know that the church has always opposed abortion. You know, it, it's not right. that abortion is is a new thing, um, and that you know, in in you know uh, the 1970s when it became legalized, that all of a sudden the church said, "Oh, we better respond to this." No, um, right. abortion was was perfectly acceptable in the Roman Empire. In fact, they would kill the baby after it was born too. They you know the the parents had that right. And the church has always opposed um, that. It's always opposed abortion. It's always uh, opposed infanticide. It's always opposed those kinds of things that we would, you know, put under the category of the culture of death. And the church has always stood for the culture of life as a very facet of its identity. Right. And so the, the being able to determine when life begins and seeing ultrasounds, all those things that helped people understand that, you know, at the moment of conception, this is this is a human being, um, you know, something we didn't have back then. But you're right. I mean, abortion has always been murder and the church has always stood strong. And as a matter of fact, you know, it's it's interesting because we see all you know, we see other churches, you know, their teachings evolve to be more in line with the times. And the church sometimes gets accused of being, you know, back in the Middle Ages, but the truth is always the truth, right? And then it doesn't matter whether it was the year 300 or the year, 20, you know, 2022. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, the, the, um, the attempt to be modern and to jettison the, the past and the tradition is really more of a, uh, you know, following of fads, following the culture. The church is supposed to be countercultural. The church is not supposed to follow the culture. Um, and of course, you know, we're, we're coming out of a period, or maybe we've been out of it for a while. But I mean, if people who are old enough can remember a time when, when they could assume that American culture was somewhat Christian, uh, but those days are over. We're, we're back to where the church was in the Roman Empire, where we have to be countercultural. So the beauty of your book is to see how these early church fathers, you know, whether it was Clement of Rome uh, very early on or Tertullian, whoever, right, fighting for truth and, and be, having the love of Christ and that willingness and courage to go out into the world 
and teach the truth about Jesus Christ. I mean, it really is a model. When we read these guys, we should have tremendous respect for what they went through and realize we're called to do the same thing. Yeah, that's right. And of course, in the first three or four centuries of the church, they were doing it at the risk of their lives, you know, mm-hmm. and then, um, and then, you know, after that, there were, there were other issues that came up that, uh, that they had to deal with. But, you know, the interesting thing is that, that most of these church fathers are either bishops, pastors, catechists, they're, they're doing all this within the context of the church. They're not uh, ivory tower scholars sitting out there, you know, critiquing the church from the outside or these kinds of things. I mean, they are, they are churchmen or church women as well, because there are actually some mothers of the church. And it's interesting to read about them. And I include them in the book as well. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the, one of the great lessons that we can learn from the early church and the church fathers is, you know, whatever we do, we have to do it within the context of the church, within the community, within the body of Christ. Because the minute we separate ourselves and make ourselves our own highest authority, the minute we stop being part of something bigger than ourselves, uh, then we're, we're off on a tangent. And, and that's the very definition of heresy. Well, and we see quite a bit of that. And, and we see that, you know, the early church fathers, especially, uh, you know, third, fourth centuries, you know, they're fighting these heresies that are, that are cropping up, whether, as you mentioned, the Arian heresy, you know, denying the divinity of Jesus. Um, and we have to fight the same thing, but we can't fight them if we don't know the truth. And I think reading these books should help cement us, cement our thought and our, uh, our knowledge of these truths that the church holds in such high esteem that, you know, they become doctrines of the church. And seeing that these th- this was going on early on, they may have called it different things or had different names or not called it what it is today, but these early church fathers, uh, you know, some, you know, direct descendants of, of the apostles, you know, t- uh, teach or students of the apostles like John and Peter, uh, they got it. And they are called, they are teaching the truth just as we need to do. And their times were, were hard and it's not easy now. And we need to be able to take some solace of them and ask for their support and prayers for us. Yeah, and that you know that's really true, and um, you know of course we have this communion of saints, and the the, the saints can intercede for us, um, and and you know it, it's it's really true. It, there's nothing new under the sun, and you know all of the heresies that are out there now, you know the people, modernists get all excited about these things as if they've discovered something new, and these heresies were all tried, you know back in the day. They all they all were 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 found wanting. They all failed. Um, and yet, to your point, if we don't know about them, it's harder for us to see them coming. It's harder for us to oppose them. And, and so I should say, you know, I wrote this book so that anyone can read it and understand it. It's written for the absolute beginner uh, reading the Church Fathers. Uh, it's written in language that anyone can understand. So anyone can pick up this book. It's not a short book, but anyone can pick it up and, uh, and get it. Well, and I think it's not a short book, but it's one of those that you keep on the shelf and you pull off when you need a reference, right? When you need some assistance because someone has said something and you're like, no, that's, that can't be right. And you read some early church fathers. I remember coming into the church and reading uh, The Faith of Our Early Fathers by Jurgens, And, um, uh-huh. you know, it was very impactful to me. And But but your book has a lot more depth to it and, and covers a lot more. And I, I wish that I had that you know, 
30 years ago. Yeah. Well, honestly, I wish I had my book when I started out too. <laughs> and, um, you know, when I was coming back into the, the, uh, the Catholic faith and I was, I was actually doing my PhD at the time. And so I was sort of pulling all this stuff together and surveying all this stuff and going deep. And then when I came into the Catholic church, my, uh, my pastor at that time, um, he not only did he hire me to be on staff at this parish, but then also he had me doing talks on, uh, you know, what we called things like Catholic answers to Protestant questions. And, and I was basically telling the story of my journey and, uh, and answering questions and talking about all of the things that, you know, that I struggled with in order to come back to the Catholic church. And, you know, the answers are all right there in the early church and in the church fathers. It's amazing. It's interesting because the, you know, Protestant seminaries, from what I understand, having never been in one, but just from what I've heard and and watching different interviews, you know, have these students reading the early church fathers. And that's a lot of times when the, you know, the questions start coming up, wait a minute, this is not, as you mentioned earlier, when we first started talking, this is not true. And it's interesting that they would go back and have them read the early church fathers because it basically blows up the myth of the Protestant Reformation and and what's taken place. A lot of ways it does. I mean, in my experience, a lot of Protestant seminaries are selective with what they have their students read. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you'd, you'd, and, and of course, you know, with the modernist uh, attitude as well, you'd be surprised just how much permission Protestants give each other to say, Oh, I can see, just how Catholic the early church was, but we know better, right? Oh, I can <laughs> yeah. see the, that the early Christians really did believe in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, but we know better. You know, so they, 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 they can see it, but they always give themselves permission to think they know better. So it's a bit of a struggle, you know, but I teach in a Protestant seminary, so I, I'm in a really kind of interesting position. And, yeah. um, you know, I'm telling it like it is, and I'm, and I'm showing them uh, you know, what it was really like, and, and I'm having them read the documents for themselves, and I can see the light bulbs going off over their heads, um, and we have some great conversations, and they ask some good questions, and at the end of the day, at the very least, they come away, you know, some of them no longer thinking that, you know, Catholics are weird and superstitious and all of the, you know, all the myths that are out there. Right. There, there is a history to it and a, and a long history to it, almost, you know, 2000 years of history. So that's interesting. Yeah. You know, I, I, I give credit to the university where you're teaching to be able to have you come in and teach the truth and not be selective or be afraid of reading something because somebody might learn something they didn't already know or that disagrees with a, a Protestant doctrine. So I think and what's the name of the college where you're teaching? Yeah, yeah. So it's the it's the seminary on the campus of uh, Northwestern in uh, Evanston, Illinois, and it's historically Methodist. Um, but uh, we we do have a very diverse faculty. Um, I'm the only Catholic on the faculty, but uh, you know when when we say we respect other opinions, uh, they they uh, are serious about that, and they're you know they're sincere about that. So um, you know I respect my colleagues, and we uh, we get along fine, and. And sometimes we disagree, but um, but I do get to to teach what I want to teach, and so it, uh, it it's an interesting it's an interesting situation, um, but uh, but it's but it's good. So you know, they like I said, they're when they say that they're open to other opinions, they're you know they're truth they're truthful in that. Coming from you know the Catholic background and teaching what you're teaching, to know that you have truth on your side 
you know, you, you've got every, you know, arrow in your quiver that you need and to be able to share that truth and let them read. And then and instead of, uh, you know, telling them they get to ask you questions. So then you get to respond. It really seems like, you know, almost like the perfect environment to be able to, to share that truth of, of the Catholic church. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not even really teaching them what I believe per se. I mean, I'm right. just saying, right. well, you know, here's, here's the way it was back in the day. This is what Christians believe for the first 1500 years of the church. And to this day, most Christians still believe most of this stuff. So it's like, you know, this is, this is what you, you, you know, to, and, and it's, it's helpful, I think, for Protestants to see a bigger picture because um, Protestants living in the Western world tend to have this sort of skewed view of the, the universal church, which is to say they think most people are Protestants, which is not true, you know, so. Right. And well, and it, you, you mentioned it before, right? We, we live in the United States where at one, at one point it was a Christian nation. Uh, now it's pretty much a pagan nation with, you know, Christians in the crosshairs. So we can take solace. And that's why I think if there's any ever a time to read your book, which there will never be a bad time, it would be now. And it is it, the book, again, is called The Reading, The Church Fathers by Sophia Press. We're down to about a little over a minute to go. Um, where can people get the book, Jim? And uh, just again, why why should they read the early church fathers? Well, I think, you know, the church fathers are the ones who um, really clarified for us what Christianity is. They're the ones who who figured out for us what books should be in our New Testament, which documents should should be in our Bible. And how to interpret them uh, that that would so that it would be in line with the incarnation of Jesus and the teaching of his apostles. Um, they're the ones who sort of clarified for us what the church is and what our sacraments are and who we are to be. So, it, in a very real sense, the first several centuries of the church were all about defining Christianity itself. And of course, you know, one of the primary ways they did that was through the Nicene Creed. And so, you know, you can see how that came about as well. But um, yeah, if you know, if you want to understand who we are as Christians and what our Christian identity is as members of the body of Christ, it's all in this book. Um, it's, it is from Sophia Institute Press. If you go to their website, it's sophiainstitute.com. You need the word institute in there. Otherwise, um, all my books are on Amazon. If you go to drjimsbooks.com, that bounces you right to my Amazon author page. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.